Well, good morning. We continue on through the book of Hebrews. We have been 10 weeks going through the entire book of Hebrews. We are in chapter 10 where we are finishing up chapter 10 today that we started. And kind of, uh, you know, it's sometimes when you go through an entire book, it's it, it like you pause and you reflect and there's lots of backstory and we're kind of going over lots of things. The last several chapters of the book of Hebrews moves towards kind of more of that application. And it started kind of last week where it says, this is the things that you know. And uh, all of Hebrews early on says, this is who Jesus is. This is what we need to know. And it moves kind of into a time where it's saying, this is then what you should do as a result. So we're, we're in that portion. And so if you'll turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 19 through 39 today. And how I'm going to start is I'm going to read through kind of the whole thing and kind of lay out the entire uh, portion that we're going to read today. And then I'm going to go back and get into some of the details in a little bit. So we're going to read all that. It will come up on the screen. But of course, um, it'd be good to follow along with your Bible so you can kind of reference back as we go along. Um, it says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most highly place, the most high place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I'll just pause for a second. This is kind of all of the things that have been laid out in previous chapters, who Jesus is, what that means for us, why there's, it's a new day, a new start, a new time and era, because Jesus put kind of to death all that was old, and it's a new day. So it says, verse 22, let us draw near to God. With a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're going to pause there for a moment and we're going to come back and kind of get into it a little bit. Uh, some familiar words that's just kind of very good encouragements, practical things that says these are the things we should be doing together. Let us be focused on these things. Let's do these all together. And I love the fact that it's talking about not like kind of institutional type things. It's talking about personal relationship type things. These are the things that we should be about because we know who Jesus Christ is, because we do it. And of course, it's saying we need to do it together. And that's what it's all about. So let us together be about these things. And kind of how I read it in the rest of this chapter is it's kind of in reverse order. It's saying this is what we should be doing. But it goes on to kind of talk about what happens if these things don't materialize. And so we're going to go all the way through and kind of go back. Um, so the, verse 26, it says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we have received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, 
but only a tearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejects the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, um, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, so at the beginning, it's saying these are the things we should be about, and then it goes into a section that says, what you know? What happens when we kind of don't do that is we kind of stumble into and fall into these times of sinning and times of kind of like disobeying God. And it's interesting, and I think it's very, very true. When we focus on the wrong things, we inevitably end up going backwards. When we're not doing, when we're not moving forward, we tend to move backwards. That's kind of the nature of life. And really, one of the things. That is critical is when the relationships break down, when those let us things start breaking down, when we start going on our own, when we start kind of getting back into old routines. These are the things that happen. And so he continues on in verse 32, says this, remember those earlier days after you have received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly Exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered long and with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. He's specifically talking to people who have gone through great things and have sacrificed greatly to follow God. And as a result, they faced hardship, persecution. Their things were taken away from them. Incredible sacrifice. And still, people who have endured a lot still need these reminders to make sure that they keep going and follow the course. It says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And but my righteousness, one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. And are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. So, to kind of give a whole concept of all of this that's coming together, it's beginning to say at the beginning, saying, you know, these are the things you need to focus on. Focus your eyes on these, this list of things. This is the kind of activity you should be about. And if not, what happens is things that creep in are these sins. You start to kind of like get away from other things. You start to forget all of the things that you've endured. And it uses in the last phrase some great language. I love the language. Don't shrink back. 
I love it, right? It just kind of, you can feel those words. Those are just very descriptive words. Kind of just all of a sudden, there was a point in time where I was following, I was, I was, I was doing the right things, and all of a sudden, I shrunk back. And it's saying, don't do that. Don't shrink back. So I think really to set that kind of the context, and then we'll get into these let us uh, kind of commands and suggestions. What, what happens is when we don't come together, when we don't stay focused together, we shrink. We shrink back. We fall away. And it's something that I've seen so many times, but it's something that all of us in some way or another have to be aware of. We have to be aware of it. You know, I wish it wasn't so. But the reality is, when I stopped playing on competitive sports teams, I got out of shape. Anybody else? Anybody else, like, maybe when you were younger, you were on a team, and you were like, you would gather together, and you'd meet, and you'd run, and you'd do all that stuff. And it was miserable sometimes, but you did it, and you did it together. And in some way, there was some camaraderie there. It was, you know, like, you pushed one another. I was, I was a really stubborn uh, uh, teenager. I might be a little bit of a stubborn adult. But, but anyways, I was a really stubborn teenager. It's easier to talk about uh, my faults of the past than it is to uh, admit my, my current faults. Um, but uh, I remember I was like, I was going to be determined. And I remember I, play, I played high school basketball. I wasn't a very good basketball player. I couldn't make a shot, and I am height-challenged. And so my coach told me very clearly on offense, my role, he said, never, when we have the ball, never come inside the three-point line. Don't ever even go in there. Never cross that line. You're not allowed to go in there. And then he said, never shoot a shot outside of the three-point line. And I said, I was like, okay, got it, I got it. And actually, I think one day he took it to the, he took it even further because I took a shot in the game. He said, if you are on the entire, if you are on the side of the court, and there is nobody on even that entire half of the court, I still want you to pass the ball. I don't want you to shoot. <laughs> um, so that that was my job uh, uh, on the basketball team. I still play. My job was to run around and pester people. And um, I'm good at that off the court. I'm good at that on the court. I'm good at pestering. And so that was my job. And so I was really, I really took a couple of challenges. We had an incredibly talented basketball player on our team. They went on and played college basketball and was just incredibly quick guard. And my job at practice, and the coach told me, he said, pester him all day long. Every drill, you do it with them. Pester them, push them, uh, like knock the ball away, run around. Every time we're running things, you better try to beat them and make them beat you. And all that was my job. That was my job. And I loved it. And I kind of like took some pride in that. And what I would do is every time we would run lines, he was so talented and so gifted. He would just kind of go over and jog over and just kind of like not quite make it to the line. I would sprint ahead of him and I'd hit the line with my foot and I would run back and I'd beat him. And I would just like, I would just, I would just kind of pester him like that because I liked that role. It was like, I want to be competitive. I want to be in shape. I want to go hard. I want to do my best. Now, if you told me, go out and run a basketball program, I'm like, oh, really? 
That would be brutal. Like, full speed? Are you kidding me? You know how that's going to hurt? Oh, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be sore. All these. And the truth of it is, there's something about that team environment. There's something about that that, like, helps us rise to the occasion and go beyond the expectations and abilities that we would have if we were all alone. There's just something we are able to get to levels that are different than we would be able to get to on our own. And in some ways, my whole life, I've kind of thought about it in a way as that is kind of a weakness. That's kind of, it's kind of a lame excuse that I can't self-motivate myself the same way that I can when I'm on a team and I'm in a team environment. But let me, let me. Let's pick at this for a second, because I really believe that there's something else going on. That that the reality is, is that we should be in those family, team, community, church environments. We should be. And the reality is, is we never will be our best. And if we just want to go out all on our own and try to become the best all on our own, there's something significantly missing. There's something missing. And what will happen is inevitably you will shrink back because we were not created to just kind of go out there and do stuff on our own by our own will and might and just grind out our lives. We were created to be a part of a community. We were created for that. And so, so maybe we think about that as, as kind of like that's good motivation and that's a good way to do it. We should really think about being a part of a community as core and central to the objective of who we were created to be. That's part of who we are. And if you're great and self-motivated on your own, but you do it alone, well, what's the point in some ways? That's missing something. And it's really talking about something really significant. All throughout the scripture, there's analogies that, it, that the Bible gives us between like physical training and teams and the community of faith. Uh, one Bible verse that's one of my favorites is physical training is of some value, but spiritual training is of eternal value, much more valuable because it lasts forever and ever. And, and there's all of these analogies. And it's almost like we might think, you know what, that's just good common sense. Let me just say, I really believe it's something that God created in us. It's something that God designed in us for us to thrive, that that's who we should be. Sometimes we focus too much on like the destination and we don't recognize that the whole path there is really a critical piece. That we're not just saying, I want to be somebody that is really close to God. We have to understand that the way that you get there is a significant part of it. And it, it's crucial. And it's who we, who we are created to be. And so it's interesting when you look at kind of this pattern of the scripture. It is telling just timely uh, truths. That you know what? It is true that on a sports team... You will be more motivated to be physically fit. But it's not because of the magic of the sports team. It's because of what God created us to be. And 
So much more we have to recognize that in our spiritual life. So when sports teams do something that somewhat reflects what God calls the community of faith to do, it's something that has a real tangible benefit. But it's just a small piece of it. Because what God really created us to do is not to go out and, and get in really good shape or to have great teams. What God created us to do is to join his community of faith to live out the kingdom of heaven here on earth, to live that out. So it always starts with, and here's something we all need to be aware of, any time of shrinking always starts in isolation, in one way or another. It always starts that way. It always starts with, I just kind of, you know what, I'm going to kind of hang back. I'm not going to engage other people. I'm not going to talk to other people about maybe some things going on in my life. I'm just going to like maybe withdraw in some way or another. And there's simple ways that that happens. And you know what? There's times where we need our space and our time. And we, you know, we don't want to be around everybody. Fair enough. But it always starts with like a movement towards isolation. It always starts there. And, and, and it's, it's something that we've seen all throughout Scripture. If you want to say, I want to stay on the right path, you have to guard this. Guard against this. Are you withdrawing? Are you, like, trying to, like, kind of be on your own and not have those conversations anymore? Is there something that you're doing to isolate yourself from others? Because that's a telltale sign that something's starting to shrink. Something, you're shrinking away. And and there's so many examples that you can think of. Probably all of us have done it a time or two. When maybe, let's say something didn't go the way that it's supposed to go at work. Or maybe you didn't follow through with something the way that you should have followed through with it. And, you know, your boss is hanging around and you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going to try to avoid that person today, Right? I'm just going to, you know, I'll just be in my office. I'll slip in and out quietly, keep my lights down or something like, you know, I'll just like, because we don't want to confront like that person. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be in relationship with others when there's something harming. Same thing is true in our relationship with God. We understand that, right? It's a movement. A movement away from God is a movement to isolation. It's saying, I don't want to be around, you know, a bunch of, maybe I don't want to be around a bunch of church people. I don't want to sing songs. I don't want to, I don't want to like confront the fact that maybe I'm shrinking back a little bit. It's easier to ignore that and isolate and be away and not talk and not engage because I don't have to confront the fact that maybe I am starting to kind of shrink away. The call of God is for us to reconcile. Our relationship with God. To be close in our relationship with God. And if any isolation starts creeping in, it's us, it's probably isolating away from others, but probably isolating ourselves from God. Stepping away, being a little removed. I don't want God to really be too close because right now I'm not feeling it. And I'm not there. It's one of the greatest Things that we can monitor and see in our lives to to, to sense closely. Am I going in the right direction or am I going away? 
And sometimes it's really, really hard. Sometimes we have to just kind of like psych ourselves up and say, I'm not going to be moving towards isolation. I'm going to move more towards engagement. And I'm going to move towards relationships. And it's really, really hard. And we got a list here of things that, we'll, that, that we should be focused on and we should be thinking about. And of course, it's under the heading of us. It's under the heading of us making sure we're doing us type of things instead of focusing on me type of things. We're doing us type of things. So let's look. Let's look at um, the advice. And there's several things. And they're all, um, you know, kind of introduced by that let us phrase. Uh, The first one is in verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. So it's saying, let us draw near. And, and this kind of sums up the, the whole idea overall that we're talking about. Draw near to God, not away from God. Go towards God, not in isolation. If you have something in your life that you're ashamed of, that you're struggling with, that's keeping you away from drawing near to God, then, then we confess that and we reconcile that and we draw close, not further away. It's the saddest thing that we do so much self-sabotage in our life. When the thing that can heal us and help us is going towards drawing near to God, and our, our tendency is always to isolate and to walk away. How sad. How sad. And think about God, our good father, our parent that loves and cares for us. That is there when we're broken and hurting and are a mess and we are running away. How sad. As a, as a parent, you, 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 your heart would be broken. If your child is hurting and struggling and they're just, they're, they're blocking you from your li- their life, your life. Saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You'd want to be there and hug them and hold them and help them. And this is what the scripture is saying, is that draw near. Draw near with a sincere heart. And it even talks about full assurance. And it's, it's looking back and reminding us of all of the things that we've talked about chapter after chapter. That God is our great high priest that loves us and is there for us and is caring for us. And has gone to incredible lengths to be near to us. Remember those things with full assurance and draw near to God. Draw near. Don't run away. Get closer. It's really, really simple. And all of these things are so simple. But, but... But it's things that we have to work on and struggle through because we always tend to do kind of the opposite, the things that harm us. But it's, it, you know, these things are so simply love God and love your neighbor. Go close to one another. Draw near to God. Be present and be engaged. I think that goes beyond just our relationship with God because I think our relationship with one another, especially in the community of faith, is a picture of what is going on in our life. We should be growing closer and closer to God and our love for others should also grow. 
And so we need to say, am I drawing near to God? A picture of drawing near to God would be me engaging more and more in the people around me and saying, like, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be talking. I'm going to be engaged. I'm going to initiate conversations. I am going to draw nearer and nearer to those people around me. That is a picture and a byproduct of drawing nearer to God, is we're drawing nearer, 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 not further and further away. The next one says, let us. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Um, for he who is promised is faithful. And this is, this is one of those things that it's just talking about those beliefs. It's talking about holding clearly to those. With all other worldviews and all other opinions and all other directions that people would say that we should live our life, we hold fast to and we hold on to the truth that we understand about God. That revealed through Jesus Christ. We hold fast to that. And we don't let other things uh, sway us. That's why we gather together and we look and we read the Bible. And we think about it. And we evaluate our lives. And we reflect on it. And we go through, you know, entire books of the Bible and things like this. We're doing it to make sure that we're holding on to these things that will give us life. That will guide our life. So we hold on to it and we hold it close. In the scripture, there's so many different examples. Is it saying, you know, you need, to, you need to keep the scripture and keep God's promises close to you. You need to teach it to your children. You need it to be a part of your life, your everyday conversations. You need to know it and like hold closely to it. If people are struggling with something, the first thing I always tell them is I say, memorize some Bible verses that apply to that. And know that and have it in your heart and hold it close to you. So when those moments come where I'm struggling and maybe emotionally I can't deal with what I'm going on, I hold on to what I mentally know and I still trust that even though I'm not feeling it in that moment. And so there's verses that you can memorize and say, I'm holding closely to what God says about me and what God says about this world. And I'm holding closely to those when, you know, times are difficult. And so we hold on to those things. And that's why we gather and we teach. And that's why we talk about it and have groups and all of these things is because we make sure that we're holding close to the word of God. But let there be no mistake. That it, just like any relationship where you could, you could, you know, kind of isolate and kind of neglect and kind of like disconnect, that you can disconnect from this too. You can. And we really try to give tools and opportunities for people to, to engage this. You know, um, I think about it regularly and I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think about it, even for my own life is that we spend time every week thinking about these things, reading these things. Reflecting on these things. That's why, you know, we put those notes in and questions in and things like that. Our hope is that our conversation that we have here on Sunday morning is something that we we mull over, meditate, think about in our homes all week long. And it's something that we hold fast to. And imagine if it wasn't just like, hey, we come to church and uh, we have 
over the years a collection of multiple church services that we've been to. But imagine if every time we gathered, we were like holding on to another truth that really just kind of built another block in our spiritual life. Imagine if every single time we were really intentional and thoughtful about saying, I'm going to hold unswervingly to this stuff. Even if that Tyler guy doesn't make sense, I'm going to just read the, what the words say, think about it. But we, that's, that's what we should be doing. And that's what we should take this opportunity and not miss that. Hold on to these things. Hold on to them. So I strongly encourage you, even, you know, yeah, be a nerd like me. You can, you, it's okay. Nerds are cool nowadays, right? Be a nerd like me. Get, get your little notebook. Get your little three-ring binder. The holes are punched for you in advance. Take your little notes. Look back. I mean, like these, over the, over the course of time, if you really engage instead of kind of like, yeah, I was there. It was okay. You know, that kind of, if you really engage it, Imagine what kind of growth you could have over the course of time. Imagine the opportunities you'd have to, to really deepen your faith. But it, it takes an engagement. And so that's what it's really saying. is Let's make sure that we're holding it close. That we're holding unswervingly. The next one, in verse 24, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So it's talking about how we can challenge one another. How we can push one another. How we can, you know, sometimes hold one another accountable. And that is, those are really challenging counter-cultural counter words and ideas in our world today. It seems as though, like, kind of, kind of, mo it, most people, not you, you're wonderful people, you don't mind this at all. It seems like most people would, would, would prefer and like all their relationships to be people that wouldn't challenge anything that they're doing. And we tend to isolate and say, I want to be around people that don't push me to something else. That it just kind of makes me comfortable in the person I am right now. And unfortunately, the community of faith is not a group like that. The community of faith is a place where we challenge people. And we challenge ourselves, and we open ourselves up to that. You understand that one of the, the, the great symbols of the church is baptism. And the great symbol of the church is baptism. You go and you publicly profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And essentially what that is, and it's a little bit been lost in our modern society. Now we've kind of looked at it as like, all right, you're in, you're good, you're set. But really, it's a public symbol to the community of faith that I am now under the accountability of all of you. That's pretty strong. But that's what we think. Because we understand and we know that if we just, we, we just have a bunch of people around us that just say, hey, you're doing just fine and it doesn't matter. Like, that's, that's not, that's not it. They were to be here for one another, to, to push each other on towards, towards something greater. And it's not in a way that we, it's harmful or hurtful or mean-spirited. It's in a way of love. Let's consider how we push one another on and, and help one another get to the greatest us that we can be and the closest we can be to God. 
But let's make no mistake. This is what the community of faith is to be, is a place of challenge and a place of accountability. And really, the to what degree that will be a part of your life is to what degree you're open to that. Because it would be very easy to just kind of avoid any opportunity or possibility of accountability. And so it's saying, let's really think about it. Really think about it. How do we challenge one another? How do we push one another? Um, and, and we should all be open to personal accountability if we take these things seriously. And it's saying, of course, that what we should be pushing one another on is towards love and good deeds. We should be pushing one another on towards the things that Jesus demonstrated and communicated all throughout Scripture. And those are the things we should be pushing each other to. We should say, let's, let's be more loving to one another. Let's do more good. Let's, let's grow as people. Let's not stay the same. Let's do it. Come on. Let's do this together. It says with the next one, and it continues on, the, the whole thought continues on and gives us a couple of more. Uh, in verse 24, it says, um, or verse 25, it says, do not give up meeting together. And so it says, keep getting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. So two more let us commands. Is it saying, let us continue to meet together and let us continue to encourage one another. You can't really persevere in the faith. You can't be in a let us community without being present. You do have to show up. You do have to be around. You do have to engage. You do have to be open to relationship. You have to show up. And that's kind of, that's what traditionally the church has done, is we've gathered on the Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and we celebrate and worship, and we make that a priority, and I hope you do too. That it's a saying that I am going to make that a part of my life, a pillar in my life, a part of my routine, something that I don't abandon or I don't miss. I do everything I can to show up and be there and engage. And it says, encourage one another. Verse 24. Um, we, we show up and we stand alongside one another. We do this together and we gather together and we do it for the mutual edification of us all. And we spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. What a beautiful picture. If there are, I don't know, another section of scripture that gives us a better picture of what it's like to be a part of the community of faith that God called us to. All of these things. And they're just relational things. Like, how are we going to treat one another? What can we do? Being a part of the community of faith is about those relationships. It's a family endeavor. It's one of those things. That we say, let us do that. And when we do... We don't shrink. We don't fall away. We don't get caught up in all kinds of things that lead us astray. We really, really thrive. That's how we continue on. That's how we persevere, is through this collective, these collective actions and these things. And so if there's times in your life where you felt like maybe you weren't thriving, you are shrinking... You are kind of like, 
something's dwindling within you, engage. Let us come back together to the community of faith. You know, I think about the different moments in time in life where they're kind of like those defining moments. And that's kind of what this language speaks to me about. There's those defining moments in life where you really can kind of like kind of throw in the towel and disengage and just say, like, this is what life is going to be about and this is it. Or you can rise to the occasion and you can say, I'm not going to shrink back. I'm going to step up to this moment in time and I'm going to make sure that I do what it takes. I'm going to rise up in this moment and I'm going to live a life that, that means something. I've remembered several of those times in my life. I remember when, when you're first confronted with the reality of being a parent. It's kind of a moment where it's like, whew, I better rise to this occasion right now, right? I need to rise up because I'm responsible for another human being. And I can't shrink back in this moment. And I can't just sit idly by and just let this thing, this moment, moment go on. There's moments in time in your, in your life, in relationships, within the community of faith, where God is calling us to say, don't shrink back, rise up. Rise up. And do the tough thing maybe that you don't feel like doing. Rise to that occasion. And you can almost hear in these terms, and you can see kind of like the, the, the inspiration or the people that he was talking to right there that are the first generation Christians That at that moment in time, history was calling for them to not shrink back, not be afraid, not be worried about all the other things going around, and to rise up in that moment in time and say, I will do these things, and I will engage, and I will be a part. And we, we all have those moments. And the church has those moments. That we, we need people to say, you know what? I'm rising up in this moment. Because, you know what? The community of faith needs you. The community of faith needs you to rise up and not shrink back. The community of faith needs you. And you know what? Make no mistake about it. You need the let us in your life. You need the community of faith. If you don't, it's going to be a tough road. It's this mutual thing that it says that this is what it's like. We know all these things mentally. This is what we have to, we have to embrace. And this is what we have to be about. So let us. Let us draw near. Let us hold unswerving. Let, let us spur one another on. Let us continue to meet. Let us encourage. These are powerful, profound things. Will you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for these words. I've read them many times. And they've been a challenge to me and an encouragement to me. There's many times in my life where It'd feel much easier to isolate, to shrink back, to just kind of like let life pass me by. God, forgive me. 
And God, I thank you for the people who have been in my life, who have been around me and stood with me. I thank you that you've allowed me to be a part of a a let us community. And so God, I pray that I would I would rise up and not shrink back. That I would draw near to you, God, I pray. As we go to our time of communion, I'd like you to think about moments in time, maybe even within this last week, where you have, you have maybe shrunk back. You've hidden out because it was, it was easier to isolate and not deal with things as opposed to engage. We all have been there a time or two. We've all been there probably many, many times. And so we hear these words. And we hear this challenge to 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 engage. To not shrink back, to show up, to draw near to God and others. So even if every one of your inclinations is to shrink back, fight it, and ask God for help, ask God to help you persevere and deal with whatever may come your way. Cry out to God right now. He hears your prayers. And he gives grace to us. Draw near to him, believing that he will be there for you.